Hello, everybody. Welcome to Block Bites Daily. It's me, Corval, today. I've got my special guest, Charles. It's just going to be the two of us. Today, we're going to be covering MEV burning. This is a hot new thing. Well, not really that new. I mean, it's not really coming anytime soon, but it's good for you to know about. We're going to talk about Gamma Labs, the Gamma Swap Labs, I believe. <laughs> and uh, we're also going to touch a little bit on some news here. We've got some uh, more stuff in the house debates on crypto and FTX massive tax bill, $40 billion. And what's that mean for their settlement? So Mikey, take us into the show. Let's get into it. Hey, hey, Charles, how you doing today, man? What's up, dude? Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I just got uh, some Optimism merch in the mail, which uh, I really like this shirt. I feel like it's good because just random people on the street, Mm -hmm. if they're not like, they'll just be like, oh, cool shirt. It says Optimism, you know, this guy's optimistic. Uh Um, But then like people, if there's someone who's like into crypto, they'll be like, oh, Kind oh, it's of like, like a little a dog whistle. Stealth. Yeah, it's a dog whistle. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a Batman searchlight. It's stealth. I like that. Works. Yeah, we should get some Block Bites merch eventually. Um, but yeah, Charles Definitely. has a big red podcast, and he's got that after this. It's exclusively on, focusing on optimism, right? I do. Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, today I'm talking to someone from Perpetual Protocol. Oh, nice. So uh, if you guys are interested, Big Red Podcast on Twitter. And it'll be a Twitter space. Um, We're all about, about those perps, perps, baby. We're all about those perps. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Very cool. So let me look. Like, I'm not like a big TA guy, obviously. I'm always joking on Clay for it. But uh, let's do a little bit of looking at the charts. You down for that, Charles? I'm down. I, I Same here. I wish I could fill those shoes, but I do zero TA. Thank you, Adam Callen. Shout out. Mm-hmm. Oh. Appreciate that. We got a fan um, in the chat, bro. Let's go. So only. we see Bitcoin sitting at 2715. Uh, so I have some uh, explanation for this, and it was some fake news. You see this, Charles? Oh, uh, no. What Hit me. All right. Let me explain what happened here. So someone, look, I got our, our boys at CryptoQuant, great friends of the show. Um, they kind of like broke this down a little bit. It's not too complicated, but apparently whale chart tweeted out that the U S government was going to sell like a bunch of this, um, of their BTC. This was their tweet. U S government is selling Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. I actually did see that. Um, but this is all completely was not the U S (laughs) government. I don't think the U S government has Bitcoin. (laughs) Well, actually, they do have quite a bit, and CryptoQuant's really? kind of cool. Yeah, they have oh. like um, a dashboard here. This this is a dashboard they have of all the uh, government Bitcoin, their seized Bitcoin balance, and the balance change. And like you could see, like they sold oh. like a little bit, like ten thousand. I mean, if you consider ten thousand Bitcoin a little bit, they sold ten thousand <laughs> like in the beginning of March. Um, but okay, that makes sense. Them. Like seized Bitcoin. Yeah. For yeah. some reason, I'm I was like. They're like buying, it's like US Gov Binance account, and they're like spot buying <laughs> BTC. Yep. They might, just, but I don't think we got eyes on those wallets. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's it's kind of a kind of an interesting little case here because this is kind of like a worrying thing about crypto is how sensitive the markets are to kind of Twitter movements, like Twitter posts. Yeah, it's like uh, there's no sourcing at all. <laughs> It's kind of yeah. even something big like Bitcoin could possibly be manipulated by something like this. Not saying this is the only cause for this kind of dip here, but you know, it kind of lines up. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird because, like, it also you get what seems like really good news sometimes, and it just does mm-hmm. nothing. Like, I, it honestly, I'm I'm completely um, lost to how news finds its way into the market in crypto because sometimes i look at news and i'm like oh my god the world's ending and the market does nothing (laughs) and then the other way around it's like something amazing happens and i'm like oh great 
and then it's just i don't know it's just and then something like this happens and it's like mm. obviously i don't know yeah uh it's obviously fake <laughs> it's just yeah. like scares a bunch of people off it's gotta be like clicky know. you know what i mean there's gotta be yeah. like clicks that like lend certain a uh, news stories more uh value than they're worth and then there's also kind of like the you know there's a lot of psychological factors going into it that we just can't understand but it is kind of funny and it is something to keep in mind though when you're trading based off of news like uh yeah. maybe don't be too excited verify your sources at the very least yeah it also is hilarious that like just completely nullified like the cpi comes out and mm -hmm. it's like lower than expected and then we get this like i don't know two percent pump and everyone's like yeah cpi from like yeah. 10 minutes later it's like the government would be selling it completely eats up that entire pump and then just like continues going down it's from crisis to crisis dude hoping to crisis to complete 180 every day yeah, it makes me laugh <laughs> getting emotional whiplash but hey uh yeah. i also want to check out these crypto bubbles here because you know these are my favorite dude and look at them oh this is on the year so no one cares about the year but oh, GMX, yes, not looking good. hex oh my god dude i was looking at hex yesterday hex might be the way to go i might become a hexagon bro bro do you think it's because of that diamond yeah it's the diamond richard hart and his fucking quantum diamond looks <laughs> the enigma he, it was called it had such a cool name the enigma and he changed his name to the hex.com diamond i know <laughs> yeah but hey it's working <laughs> chad did you guys see this richard hart bought it's like a black diamond it's like it's huge too it's like that big mm -hmm. um he bought some massive diamond and uh that is was... now what backs hex yeah <laughs> so, yeah i guess uh... he bought it in 2022 it's like look i'm gonna get a picture of this i want to share this with people the space diamond it's uh it's so Holy fucking crap. weird, bro. This is supposedly what it looks like here. This massive diamond. And it's a billions of years old. <laughs> Bought with hex money. So now... It has 55 facets, Corball. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, dude. Maybe, he's, he'll, maybe he'll like cut it up into like a hexagon. Maybe he'll cut it into the shape of a... Maybe he'll put it on his forehead like Lulu Zubert. Yeah, I mean... He'll cut it into a hexagon thing. and then he'll implant it into his forehead. So I don't know too much about Hex, but what I was seeing in uh, what in my cursory research on their website, it seems like Richard Hart, the guy behind it, is like very key to it. So he probably should do that. He's like their god icon, you know? Yeah. There's yeah, a video he's... of him installing a bidet on his mother or in his mother's house not on his mother in his mother's house <laughs> on their site so he's he's a real big personality for them yeah i mean i don't know it's kind of he it's it's hex's key man clause like if richard hart dies i don't know what uh what happens to hex. <laughs> it's over hex it's nation over. dissolves yeah it's pure anarchy in the in the hex hex yeah. country John Stess brings up a good point. This is kind of what my take was. Like he just took everyone's money and just bought <laughs> yeah. a very expensive gem with it and turned it into like a marketing thing. But if Hex goes but, down, I mean, I guess they could sell the gem to somebody. I don't know. I would never get rid of it. It seems magical. It's uh it's an investment. And it's so cool. Come on, don't you want your money being spent on diamonds rather than lame uh developer hours? Boo. This is Come the real-world assets I'm talking about. We should be yeah. buying more of these Chaos Emerald type things. But yeah. let's get back on track here. Let's let's talk okay. a little bit about the house debate on crypto. Um, not too much came out of it. A lot of the same stuff that we have been seeing, Charles. I don't know how close you've been following it because you're Canadian. I don't know how much it even matters to you. <laughs> but It uh, matters. It matters. not very close, though, unfortunately. Yeah. So, like... A lot of it's still like breaking down along party lines. Democrats saying that the existing regulatory framework is sufficient. Republicans saying that we need to establish some new regulations to try and bring crypto in line in like a more friendly way. But there yeah, were a couple right. excerpts in this that I kind of liked that uh, I thought were pretty funny. <laughs> uh kind of scary not scary but just very dramatic so apparently representative sherman who's a democrat from california compared 
this like fear of losing ground on cryptocurrency that Republicans push, you know, like that uh, we're going to lose crypto industry to some other nations or whatever to losing ground on cocaine production, organ harvesting and tax fraud. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, it's uh, we can see it's good to see that the debate is staying nice and reasoned and respectable <laughs> and that it seems like they really care about the industry. Yeah, is that is that the guy? Brad Sherman's the guy who said that uh, the U.S. government prints money out of thin air, but they can do that because they're the U.S. government. Is that the same <laughs> guy who said that? That is right. I hope so because that's it is. It totally is. Yeah, this guy's oh gonna be president. <laughs> Bro, that's such has... hardcore language. There's a lot yeah, of that kind of no going filter. on here. The okay for me, not okay for the um, kind of thing. Look at him, dude. <laughs> oh my god. That's it's, that's uh, a face Mr. I can Burns. trust. They should yeah. put him on the on the on the CBDC, <laughs> the CBDC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on the trillion dollar coin. Yeah, but we did get some kind of interesting perspectives too. The former CFTC chair, a little bit more positive, um, he kind of was recommending the formation of a self-regulatory organization uh, that is got joint oversight by the CFTC and the SEC. So like, I wasn't really sure what that meant as self-regulatory org, but that's kind of just like the New York Stock Exchange or like the Chicago Board of Trade. So they kind of act fairly independently and in kind of regulating everything. And I honestly think that might be one of the best cases for crypto. What, what do you think, Charles? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, yeah, there is, I think there's definitely, definitely um, um, a case for, I think there's a strong case for some um, third regulatory um party mm -hmm. um and i think crypto needs its own um and yeah it's kind of weird like i i i would say that i um i don't know i would say that i guess i kind of lean left but i honestly don't even know anymore because it's like every single issue one party takes one side the other party takes the other side and there's no like there's no commonality between like the issues that I care about and um, and and like the party that I associate with those those issues. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah. some like half of things I'm like with the Republicans, half things with the Democrats. And like growing up, I like assumed that I was like more liberal. I would be like more Democrat if I lived in the U.S. But now it's like I completely disagree with the Democrats here, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. It's like it's so hard to um, I don't know. The parties are just really, really confusing to me. But yeah, on this on this matter, I definitely mm -hmm. think like something like a self-regulatory body makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. and it needs to be completely written from scratch. And it's like the SEC rules were written in the 30s mm -hmm. and uh, Gensler is not doing a good job. And um yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, we definitely need some third body that um, that like you described. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I think uh, that's like like I said. I'm glad we're in agreement here. I think it's probably the most common sense thing, and this is kind of like the issue I think with politics in general is there generally seems to be some pretty decent common sense solutions, but because like you're saying, the right and the left are too fucking on the opposite sides. It gets so partisan. And everyone, no one is thinking really clearly or trying to actually get a solution because really, I think we can all agree that crypto could benefit from some of these things here we're outlining. It's not looking too good on my screen because this page is super dark, but uh, like a simple commodity regulator would be super handy in the crypto industry just to kind of like enforce some sort of risk management, reporting, prevent fraud and manipulation add some more trade transparency. And this is the big one for me is to add conflict of interest limitations on these centralized exchanges so that you can't, you're not getting, you know, a centralized exchange offering you like a loan and then like devaluing your loan immediately uh, for their own benefit. So the classic example is like front running your trades. Like there's no yeah. uh, really restrictions on that, which those kinds of restrictions make, perfect sense in a bank and don't really hinder business yeah yeah um yeah a lot of those seem perfectly reasonable and it's like regulation good regulation will completely move the crypto industry forward and will mm -hmm. allow for like um a lot more innovation and a lot more um growth because 
Like every crypto company is just completely terrified of what could come of regulation and they don't want to make any decisions. You know, it's like they're trying not to make decisions, actively trying not to make decisions because they don't want to get screwed later. So it's like the quicker we can get some responsible regulation in, the quicker these companies can actually make be like, OK, here, this is what I have to do. And now I can go for my mission um, within these guidelines. And yeah, I completely agree, Nietzsche, mm -hmm. um, with the Democrat Party not being what it was 20 years ago, agreed and uh, bearable as well. Term limits, get these lifers out of here. Yeah, there should yeah. be some sort of age limit on like being a senator. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, some of them are like, uh, what, like 90 years old? Yeah, I don't even know how they too. can function. They deserve yeah. to chill a little bit at least, right? What are you doing yeah. up there? Just yeah. maintaining the status quo, um, yeah. to to keep the banks in uh, in control here, and also to keep their control of the banks. I would say, but uh, yeah. yeah. And one last thing I thought was interesting is Santori from um, Kraken. He's like their head of legal. He brought up that you know it doesn't really even make sense to say that current regulatory frameworks like the clearest example is that current regulatory frameworks don't work for crypto because current regulatory frameworks don't require things as simple as like disclosing the number of nodes, the number of developers your team has, where development funding comes from or where your nodes are located. So if you're running like a chain, right, this is useful stuff and important stuff to know, to know if it's a worthwhile investment for you. And under the current regulation, none of this would be revealed. Um, so how is that helpful at all <laughs> for like a crypto yeah. investor? Yeah, but. it's, it's just nice to see that, um, specifics like this are being talked about, or at least mm -hmm. being brought to the table because, um, as early as, you know, a year or two ago, when I would listen to, um, some sort of hearing regarding crypto, it reminded me of the, the Mark Zuckerberg hearing where they're asking him like how Facebook works yeah, and they just don't know how it works. And it's like, I, you know, it seems like a lot of politicians or not a lot, but it seems like there are a select few that actually are, are really um, getting familiar with the tech. Mm -hmm. And that is like essential to be able to regulate any sort of, you have to know what nodes are. You have to know, um, you know, what a DEX is um, in, you know, in contrast to a sex and stuff like this. Nice. Um, yeah, sex. yeah, dude. None of these yeah, congressmen know about sex, dude. That's, for <laughs> that's <real>. true. <laughs> you can tell us by looking at them. But yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so it, these these guys, these two, well, the, the important thing to note though is that Santori, he, you know, he's the legal counsel for counsel for Kraken, so he's not a politician out and out. And um, the former CFTC chair that was recommending the SRO, he's also not really a politician. So don't get your hopes up too much about politicians actually getting to understand any of the shit that they're talking about. Because <laughs> uh, the one example from the politician I had was they were saying like, you know, crypto's equivalent to fucking organ harvesting and human trafficking yeah, yeah, and true. drug trade. <laughs> so, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess but, just respected members, uh, respected mm -hmm. former members of the system. Yeah. Putting, putting forward some like good ideas. I'm looking forward to Gensler getting out of office and then doing a full 180 and starting his own chain and, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. preaching for decentralization and minting native assets. It's gonna starting be a, a bunch of day. alt Twitter accounts, shitposting. Yeah, he's going to give himself <laughs> laser eyes or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so Bye, we had, I had a little uh, error this morning when I was like picking up the topics. I said this was a, the FTX tax bill that was revealed, but it's just that FTX... This is that was not a seamless segue, but we're doing it. The the FTX was hit with a forty billion dollar tax bill, but that's including this Alameda tax bill that's for twenty billion. So twenty billion just for Alameda and unpaid uh, employment taxes. So that's fucking huge, bro. I don't think Alameda ever had that amount of money. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the equivalent of giving someone like three life sentences. It's like, okay, here's just like an insane amount of money mm -hmm. and just pay whatever you have. Like, we're just going to take all of your, all of whatever you have left. Yeah, but um, it's like worse though, because I can't even think of an analogy where this would work uh, because it's like punishing the victims more than anything. Because uh, Alameda can just like be like, I don't have the money, right? Or you're just going to take all my money. But 
depending on how they structure this, um, there is precedent for the IRS to get paid out before, uh, like say depositors in this instance. So depending on if the depositors are, are treated as creditors or not, uh, the IRS could just take all of this money and all of the depositors from FTX or Alameda would not get any of their money back. <laughs> it would just Dude. all immediately be harvested by the IRS. Which I don't understand up, how this can happen. Well, you know, you write the laws, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how it goes. You write the laws and you have the guns. That's how it works. Uh, <laughs> Meet at a funny joke here and like, Perfect, dude. Closing Biden's eighteen billion dollar tax hole for crypto traders in one trade, like <laughs> he's a, he's made like uh, he's tripled it, dude. And this guy's a great trader. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I honestly I I don't have a lot to say about this. I I wasn't really mm -hmm. able to get into it too, um, too deeply, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's not there's not too much to say other than this might be like the final nail in the coffin in terms of the idea of FTX ever coming back online because they had been talking about it, but right. it's going to be impossible to do that if you are fucking $40 billion in the hole right out the gate. Yeah, and no one's going to swoop in and start the business up up again. Mm -hmm. um, and... and all that kind of tax burden. John yeah, Steps brings yeah. up another good point. John Steps is a genius, bro. CIA yeah, was moving, always... through, moving money through FTX and is now using the IRS to get it back. That's a hell of a shell game. He might be onto something, bro. Bro, get this guy on the show. <laughs> I feel like he knows some shit. Every episode, he's like, "Oh, by the way, <laughs> yeah, dude, he might be an agent for real, bro." Yeah, yeah. But um, hey, so oh, we got a choice here. Do you want to? You want to do? Uh, I've been talking a lot. You want to do? Uh, I can do gamma swap. Yeah, do gamma swap, bro. We can. We can I get into a little that. Gamma swap. What did? It, what do they do? Yeah. Okay. So gamma swap um, is a pretty complex protocol to try mm -hmm. and understand, um, but essentially the end goal um for for what the protocol is trying to achieve is taking the impermanent loss that um lps uh, lose out on mm -hmm. and making those profits for counterparties which would be other users in the system um and trying to funnel the, that impermanent loss into um into what would be borrowers for the system so Essentially, this is how it works. So I'm going to give a bit of a primer on on LPing and mm -hmm. what you're kind of what you are implicitly taking, what position you're taking as an LP. So um, the reason it's called gamma swap is because gamma is this. It's a Greek that is often um, uh, used in in options or it's indicated in options, and gamma is. The rate of change of delta. Now yeah, that's delta. <laughs> um, delta is the um, oh god, I had this in my brain and it just completely left left my brain. Isn't delta the um, difference? Delta between... delta is is the is how the price will change with uh, a one dollar change in the underlying. So in terms of okay. LP, it's the price. It's the it's the it's the um, the change in the price of the LP in the, with the change in the underlying um, assets. Gamma is the rate of change of delta. So to make it really simple, you can think of, of gamma as, as volatility. Um, mm -hmm. It's not exactly that, but it's, it's very close to just thinking about volatility. So what GammaSwap is trying to do is allow people to long volatility. And why this is cool is because as an LP you are implicitly taking a short volatility position. When you LP, you want high volume, but you don't want high volatility because that leads to impermanent loss. Like as if you enter into a 50-50 pool mm -hmm. and you get crazy swings in volatility, you might get lots of trading fees, but that could be completely nullified by, um, by the impermanent loss that you're... you're um, mm -hmm getting losing okay um, Wait, so yeah. let's pause for a second so so gamma swap is allowing you to benefit from impermanent loss it's allowing you yes. to take the other side of an lp so the lp yes. will benefit 
if you look at it as like two sides of the same trade, right? The LP is benefiting from the volume, but not the volatility. And using gamma swap, you can benefit from the volatility, but not so much the volume. Yes, exactly. So, so to break it down, there are two participants in mm -hmm. the gamma swap uh, ecosystem. There are the liquidity pro providers, and then there are the borrowers. So the liquidity providers in GammaSwap are regular um, short volatility LPs. They're regular liquidity providers. They deposit their assets um, and they make an LP. Borrowers are able to borrow the LP tokens and take a long volatility uh, position. So I'm going to break this down. So liquidity providers give their assets to GammaSwap. GammaSwap then takes those assets and deposit the, deposits those into an AMM. So we'll just say mm -hmm. Uniswap. So people are giving GammaSwap their, their, their assets. GammaSwap is depositing those into, into Uniswap. And then the LP now has a Uniswap LP position. Now, instead yeah. of giving that LP token to the liquidity provider, GammaSwap is keeping the LP token in their contract. And they basically mm -hmm. just mint a synthetic LP that just goes, okay, here, liquidity provider, here's your position that we're representing it with this. We still have the LP token, but but you're, you know, you're in Uniswap and you're earning these fees or whatnot. Now the borrowers, yes. So the borrowers on the other side are depositing collateral to borrow an LP token and essentially go short that LP token. So borrowers can deposit collateral in one of the two assets of the LP token that they want to mm -hmm. they want to borrow, um, and then the borrowers pay interest to the LPs on the other side to the LP suppliers for being able to borrow their LP token. So the if people are wondering why not just go straight to the Dex and provide liquidity there, Gamma Swap is. Basically, for the liquidity providers, they will always earn the same or more than if they were just to provide on Uniswap themselves mm -hmm. because they are earning also the, the interest charged to the borrowers um, who are borrowing their LP tokens. So, okay. so when I'm depositing yeah, there's, there's on more, Gamma yeah. oh, sorry, no, I yeah. want you to continue going, but I just want to catch us up to this point. So when I'm depositing on GammaSwap, it's essentially like I'm providing LP as collateral. So I'm getting the fees from the interest as well as the fees from the volume. Yeah. So you're okay. you're just liquidity providing. You don't need to deposit any collateral. You just provide your assets. You get the fees from the pool, from the, the Uniswap pool, and then you get the interest from the borrowers who want to borrow the LP token. So you're just getting this boosted, you know, these boosted fees. Hell yeah. Um, okay. As okay. an LP. Yeah. And so then the borrowers, mm -hmm. they deposit collateral. And what GammaSwap does is because they hold the, the LP token still in the contract, they will exit the Uniswap pool and split those assets up back into, um, you know, if it's ETHUSDC, they'll mm -hmm. exit the pool and split it back into ETHUSDC. Now, obviously, the, the fees, since they're not in the Uniswap pool anymore, they're not accruing trading fees. But GammaSwap is able to keep track of the what the trading fees would be mm -hmm. if they stayed in the pool plus the interest that the borrower is paying so they basically create this index that goes okay this is how many fees the the lp provider the lp supplier would be making plus this is how much interest the borrower uh would be paying is paying to the lp mm -hmm. and essentially the borrower is paying the supplier the fees that they would be generating and then when a borrower wants to exit a position, they 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 remake the LP to the same amount okay. <laughs> that the supplier um, initially um, initially supplied. So the, the supplier will get the same amount of LP tokens back. Okay. And how the borrower makes impermanent gain is because if if the borrower um, you know they they borrow an LP, mm -hmm. borrow an LP, they they split that LP up. The gamma swap splits that LP up, and then there's crazy volatility between the two assets. The price of the LP, or how many, how much assets it will take to form the same amount of LP, is going to go down, and that yeah, is yeah. the source of impermanent loss. So what the borrower is betting 
is that the volatility is going to be enough that the impermanent loss is going to be greater than any fees accrued and plus the interest that they're paying to the suppliers. Okay, this makes that sense, make sense? No, Yeah, it, this it, makes it, sense I, to me now. Um, it, uh, it, I spent hours on this yesterday. Uh -huh. um, and yeah, it, it, it takes some time to wrap your head around. Um, and this can be kind of a primer for the audience mm -hmm. to sort of dive into it deeper. But essentially, borrowers can bet on volatility being greater than the trading fees accrued. Mm -hmm. um, and, the, and the suppliers are just regular LPs who are earning more interest from, from the borrowing interest. So, so um, I guess like I might've just missed this. So like if they're splitting the LP when they're the borrower takes it out, uh, where is the funding for the volume that you would like the fees you would have accrued from your LP being used coming from? So the funding is coming from the borrower. Okay. So the borrower is paying. Oh, so, so that's the, the interest. The borrower is the paying the trading fees okay. and they're paying um, more interest, is, which is borrow interest. Okay. And these are all so perks, essentially, so there's no date on the expiration for any of this either. Exactly. Yeah. There's no date. It's just, it's just a perpetual, mm -hmm. either short or long volatility. Um, um, the long volatility is the big one because that is the one that doesn't really exist right now. Yeah. You can go long volatility via options and perpetuals and stuff, but with gamma swap, it, it doesn't, the price is irrelevant. Like mm -hmm. all you care about is the rate of change between the two assets gotcha. um, and, and the, the volume that, that is in the pool. So um, yeah, I'm well, going to see if I can share a, a few, a few graphics to try. Yeah, and... I was going to ask if you came across any graphics, but I have one thing that kind of simplifies it to me. Cause when we were talking about this before the show, you were explaining it's kind of like a straddle in traditional options markets. And yes. I have a picture of how a straddle works uh, nice. here from Investopedia. Oh, I just got to switch the tab. So basically, if you look at your profit and loss as the borrower here, this is generally how it would work. So if the price of any of the assets goes down significantly or goes up significantly, right, you're going to experience significant impermanent loss. So as the borrower, this is the kind of situation you're looking for. If things stay relative, like borrowing USDC die is not a good idea, but borrowing something like Pepe USDC might be a pretty good idea. Uh, exactly. It's going to shoot up or it's going to crash and you're going to make a lot of money because you're, you know, difference in the in 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 permanent loss is greater than the volume you probably were yeah received. exactly and this is going to be really useful for like things like that um i mean pepe i guess isn't low cap anymore but, yeah uh, but like yeah. small cap coins new coins new pairs that have low liquidity and they're just having crazy volume and the the fees aren't aren't matching up LPs in with new new pairs don't have a lot of incentive to to LP unless uh, there's crazy um, you know rewards being given out, which mm -hmm. is not good for the protocol. So with Gamma Swap, like borrowers are really going to want to to short that LP token because the impermanent loss is probably going to be a, is going to be very large mm -hmm. because of the volatility, and then they can they can compensate liquidity providers for the additional impermanent loss risk that they're loss risk that they're that they're taking um so yeah i think there's just going to be a lot more it introduces possibility for a lot more liquidity for for low cap coins for a lot cheaper mm -hmm. because it basically just gives like it gives people an option to long volatility and it gives the lps the people who are short volatility it, it compensates them better for the for the risk that they're taking because right now what you need is a bunch of incentives to compensate compensate people for that risk um, okay and to jw how much does this increase returns over regular it increases the returns by the amount um that the borrower is paying to the supplier so people are borrowing lp tokens and they're paying interest to those who have who have supplied the lp Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're just regular LPing, you're going to be earning the trading fees as, as usual. And you're also going to be getting interest from people who are borrowing your LP tokens. Ooh, fantastic. Um, Interesting. yeah, yeah. And so if you're borrowing an LP, you get this sort of straddle like payoff, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, once the threshold of 
um, volatility either one way or the other gets hit, the impermanent loss is going to be your impermanent gain. And that impermanent gain is going to be greater than, than what you're paying out. Fantastic. Um, Seems like it's going to kind of smooth a lot of things out in terms of uh, risk reward. Yeah. It's just, it's really cool because it just gives people an option to long volatility, which in DeFi, like um, it's such a volatile market and like the, I don't know. It, there's not really a lot of options for people to long volatility without taking directional bets. Mm-hmm. And in TradFi, there's a bunch of um, there's a bunch of tools for people to just be able to long volatility, um, and that it just o- opens a lot of doors um, for for the DeFi market. Yeah. Um, so this seems to be a little bit more of a yeah, sophisticated totally. tool for people, but something yeah, very useful for the health of the markets overall. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and then if we go, <laughs> if we go even further, mm-hmm. um, you can create different payoffs, option-like payoffs with something like this. Um, GammaSwap will give borrowers the option to supply to have their collateral not be be skewed towards one asset or the other. And so you can create sort of call-like options or put-like options. Mm. um put like positions anyways i don't want to get uh yeah i don't want to scramble people's brains too much but i'm gonna (laughs) share i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna share a couple uh graphics that will just show um yeah man throw what i'm talking about so let's see okay make this crystal clear for me okay here we go all right so just to illustrate how do i do this again in this gap, I'll, I will say again, hey, guys, remember to like and subscribe and also retweet. Do everything. Do everything you can. Hit all those buttons for us. It always it helps all. out. Okay, I'm sharing this. Uh... Okay, here we go. We got something. Okay, so look this at that. is... Okay, so this is the payoff. Um, this is the payoff of LPs, regular LPs, in GammaSwap. Um, versus uh, versus a regular a regular exchange. So this orange line here, that is the regular payoff of an LP. If you're just LPing on on Uniswap, this is the payoff. You can see as volatility as the price change as volatility increases, you start to lose out on impermanent loss. Right. So in the middle mm-hmm. here, these these gains are your trading fees. And so as you go further up or down on the price change scale, you're losing more in impermanent loss. Um, the blue line is basically just impermanent loss. You can see it's zero at 0% price change. Mm-hmm. It stays relatively flat and then it increases um, as, as you go along. The gray above is the yield from GammaSwap LPs. So this difference is the fees that you're being paid from the borrowers who are borrowing the LPs. So it's the exact same position you're taking, mm-hmm. except you're just getting extra fees from these borrowers. Yeah. Um, so bearable brings up a point here. It sounds like, uh, it's like, uh, it, it's not risk-free still though, because you're still doing like a loan, right? So there is still the chance that the borrower could be liquidated, right? They could run out of funds to pay back. Yes. Interest. Yes. The interesting thing is that liquidations, they don't depend on price mm-hmm. because they're long volatility. They don't care what prices the liquidations depend on the trading fees um, and the borrow fees. So mm-hmm. their collateral is being eaten, eaten, <laughs> their collateral is being eaten, eaten away mm-hmm. um, by the trading fees that they have to pay, pay out and by the borrow fees that they have to pay out. And obviously the borrow fees are going to they're going to scale with utilization. So if a bunch of people want to borrow this one, this one LP, the borrow fees are going to be super high. And then a lot mm-hmm. of people are like the, the LPs are going to be printing, printing more fees. And then that incentivizes more people to lend. And it's, it's similar to a money market where like you have a utilization um, between yeah. borrow and supply and mm-hmm. the, the interest rate that you pay scales with scales with the utilization. Um, and so this is just the opposite. This is the borrow payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see as as volatility increases, you get this straddle like the payoff where um, where you're you're betting on volatility. 
Um, <laughs> I, so I want to know, chat. Does that make sense? Are people are people picking up what I'm saying? Um, I hope I hope this will encourage you to do further research. But like, am I? I don't know. I may, did I just lose everyone? I hope not. Um, I think a lot of people are picking it up, but I think there's also a delay in chat. So we'll see if people uh, okay. are having issues because uh, it is pretty complex. This is built off of, like it seems like a lot of uh, existing DeFi architecture. And uh, yeah, I was going to say GammaSwap is on Arbitrum. Um, so Arbitrum totally seems to be like having a DeFi renaissance at the moment. Lots of DeFi protocols being built there that are pretty novel. So definitely something to check out. And like you said, Charles, always do your own research too. Uh, this is a decent primer, but be sure to dig into their documentation, join their discords and all that to, to learn more, especially as, uh, the protocol develops, like who knows what additional features they're going to be adding. Um, I will say also, Mr. Got Plenty says, uh, isn't this like similar to what Beethoven and Balancer are doing in terms of mitigating impermanent loss? I would say in, in limiting impermanent loss, yeah, but they're doing it in fundamentally different ways. Um, Balancer and Beethoven have like a different weighting system so that your impermanent loss is like not as significant. But this is like bringing another actor in to capture that value that would have been lost. Yeah. Yeah, and they will offer um, balancer pools also, um, which is cool. Um, Psychopath says that he wanted to LP on Kronos after what we talked about on Kronos, but this does not want to make him LP, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially, Psychopath, you're taking... Yeah, there are different value propositions, um, mm -hmm. so that could make sense, but um, you're basically just... It's it's a regular LP position, but you're earning fees from from people who want to borrow your LP token. Um, so yeah, I would say there isn't really any additional risk other than smart contract risk to suppliers of LPs. Mm. Um, yeah, Mister <laughs> <laughs> got plenty understands what you're saying. Dude, this guy, but terrible oh. explanation. Jeez, <laughs> oh, it hurts. I think he's just rousing you, bro. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I would also say like this is just a. A, an additional type of like strategy to implement let's say in your portfolio i wouldn't necessarily go 100 percent into any one particular type of you know there one because of the smart contract risk and two because he's kind of accomplished different things it depends on kind of like your what do you call that like your faith in the assets that you're using and kind of what you're actually trying to accomplish um, yeah yeah and um yeah jw that is that is correct borrowers funds are just it's a continuous eating away at fees and mm -hmm. eventually if those fees get too much then then your your collateral is going to get liquidated um and yeah a, a big uh use case for this is just hedging your lp positions mm -hmm. so if you want to um you know if you're supplying liquidity and you want to hedge against impermanent loss you can borrow um, you can, you could lay down some collateral and basically just, and it, 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 you can lay down a lot less collateral than the value of your LP, um, mm -hmm. and hedge against any impermanent loss, um, that you might, you might suffer. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So cool. I think game of swap is pretty cool. It's pretty interesting. Very complex. I really appreciate you explaining this Charles. Um, but I think we've, I've got a pretty decent understanding. I'm hoping chat's got a pretty decent understanding too. It kind of seems like we do. Um, but coming on to yeah. Mr. Got Plenty's idea here is he wants to know when coins go up and when coins go down. Uh, I've kind of got something for us here in the next stage of this presentation that kind of gets there a little bit. Um, Charles brought up the Bankless Boys have been talking about uh, MEV Burn. Um, so if you guys know about minor or what they call it maximal maximum extracted value, this has to do with how uh, blocks are written to the Ethereum blockchain. All right. So basically how it works is uh, oh, I forget all the actors here. Let me pull up my chart. Here we go. So basically we package on Ethereum, we package all these transactions to a block. The block's validated, and then the, it's approved and then pushed to the chain, right? Charles, is very simple. That's the most simple explanation there is. You submit a transaction, it's bundled into a block, verified, pushed to the chain. Now, 
maximum extracted value is when uh, there's a little bit of fuckery going around here. <laughs> Pardon my language, but it's when uh, validators are essentially choosing blocks to validate that will give them the maximum possible value. That means like people have hit paid higher gas to have their transactions prioritized. This is how you get things like sandwich attacks um, because, you know, I put a high gas fee to front run your transaction to uh, change the volume or change the value in the pool that we're transacting in. Yada, 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 yada. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Charles, if you could post that I in the chat drop, or something. Uh, send it to I can me. drop I'll that link. This is a, okay, nice. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is a big article um, written by GammaSwap mm -hmm. dev that will go into a bunch of math and explain things in great detail. Uh, yeah. So, but, but basically there are a couple of problems with MEV. Um, basically monetary values extract being extracted from the users. Uh, it's a problem of scale because larger validators can benefit from this disproportionately to smaller validators because they have the greater infrastructure to pick and choose and how they order things. Um, and it distorts incentives. So instead of, you know, your ethereum validators choosing neutrally to validate transactions they're they're picking and choosing and what this results in for users is it kind of results in a congested network what we're seeing now uh in ethereum with these really high gas fees a, par a big part of this is mev um like jamming up the network uh people are driving up gas fees because they want to front run say pepe people or they're trying to do like they're just trying to get the most money by gaming how the system itself actually works. So this is resulting in things like stakers choosing to have their collateral slash if their MEV is is greater than than their staked or their collateral. Um, there's DDoS attacks, front running, eclipse attacks, which sound pretty cool, uh, and chain reorganizations, which are not healthy for the Ethereum network. So one of the proposed solutions is burning excess mev so what that would mean is you get a lot of value that ethereum that you gained is burned now this is great for you as an ethereum investor because that's obviously reducing supply it's great for an ethereum user because it smooths out the network um and it but it's going to be kind of hard to do because like how how are they going to value this MEV? How do you decide if MEV is excessive? So one of the things they're going to have to do, Charles, is they're going to have to install proposer build separation. That's kind of what this graph, this, this little flow chart showing, because right now you can build and then validate your own block. So what a big validator will do is they'll pick the transactions they want to run with the highest gas fees, bundle that into one block, and then just run that for maximum value. Uh, what they're trying to do in Ethereum, what they'd like to do is they'd like to separate those two actions. So you build a block, someone else validates it. So then you're not incentivized to build like a super expensive block to validate. And uh, a, a proposer won't be able to know like what transactions they're actually validating, like if it's a extremely valuable. Um, there's already something out there like this. It's called, uh, where does that? My God, I had it written in my notes here. Now it's gone. Anyway, there's a, there's an existing... Uh, oh, yeah, it's like MEV Maximizer or something like that. MEV Pro. and what? But that exists off-chain. So what they're trying to do is just build this solution on-chain. And then once they can establish that, what the actual MEV should be, then they'll just start burning excess. But the problem is this is going to be three to five years out. And this is a long roundabout way of saying that Ethereum price still really bullish long term because here's some numbers for you. ETH issues 686,000 ETH annually to validators. MEV burn when it's implemented is expected to cut this by an estimated 400 to 500,000 ETH. That's a lot. Ooh. That's a lot of, of emissions cut down. Half a milli ETH per yeah. year being burned extra. That's crazy. Oh yeah, it's MEV um, boost is the existing third party off-chain implementation. But this is this will be on-chain. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I, this is so hard to understand if you're not like an ETH dev. (laughs) I was like, okay. Yeah. I was like trying to wrap my head around it, but the way I was thinking about it is like, it's kind of an extension of EIP 1559. Yeah. Right. Cause EIP 1559, um, burns the base, the base gas fee, the -hmm. base fee. It just implemented a base fee. And then also like, um, as utilization of the network goes up, um, basically blocks can get bigger until they're at a hundred percent, um, utilization. And then the tip is where, um, you can, you can add a, a, a tip to the validators to get your, but the base fee will be, um, it's like more predictable. So people's transactions will go through and it just cuts back on people waiting for you know an hour for their transaction to get through mm-hmm. because of a, ga- a spike in gas, um, but yeah, this is kind of ex- an extension of of EIP one five nine five five nine, where you're like burning this excess MEV, um, where in some MEV spikes you get like crazy crazy rewards going to the validators, and then there's a bunch of instability that happens with the chain, mm-hmm. um, and so by burning it, you're kind of like spreading out that value to all of the other validators and to everybody who sort of holds ETH. Um, so it's kind of democratizing like that, those huge MEV spikes and smoothing them out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting and super hard to understand. Um, but all you need to know is ETH burn. ETH yeah. burn good. <laughs> yeah, so, so basically, like you're saying, yeah, that, that burn is just supposed to reduce supply of total ETH. So it should basic supply and demand would say that it would like increase the value of ETH because you're removing ETH from circulation, or I guess in this instance, removing it before it's even minted into circulation. Um, And it should make the, it's a Taylor's question. Will this make the network run more smoothly? Yeah, it should make it run more smoothly because you're not getting people just constantly front running because they're putting the gas fees higher and higher and higher uh, because there won't be incentive to do that because they're not going to really get picked over other transactions yeah. um yeah so it is interesting and but it is like three to five years out but it is something to 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 be aware of um and it kind of helps explain whenever you see like eth going all crazy whenever you see people on twitter posting about mev scum and all that stuff this is what they're talking about they're talking they're talking about essentially the ability to pick and choose which transactions run through based on how much the validator is going to get for it yeah yeah nice 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 one man yeah that was well explained oh thanks dude i hope that it was really informative for everybody um and i hope that they you know got something out of that i thought it was pretty fascinating it's always interesting to kind of learn how eth actually works um yeah because there is a lot of value to be found there the more you nerd out on this uh it kind of made me want to become a validator bro seems kind of like he's yeah. Money. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah dude I, I like woke up this morning um and i just kind of thought about uh this like new i don't know i just i was just thinking about blockchain tech and how interesting it is Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, so cool to be like stuff, like what we're talking about now, like this economic system that is a blockchain, um, is so new and it's like, so it's so awesome. <laughs> it's like so crazy how it works. It's like so crazy that this is a thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just every day my mind is blown by the type of shit that goes on and the type of like technical advances that are being made. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's really cool to be, to be a part of like this crazy explosion in innovation, not to sound too corny. Um, but like when you're studying economics, there's this thing called, uh, called total factor productivity. Um, and it's a variable that is in, involved in a lot of models, economic models. And it basically Mm -hmm. measures the, like a very basic version of it is, is the, level of technology that a certain society has right Mm -hmm. um and in a lot of economic models the way that you sustainably increase one of the only ways to sustainably increase per capita gp gdp per capita income is by lifting 
um, the level of technology that the, the society operates under. So um, I was just thinking about total factor productivity and how huge an advancement blockchain technology is and how much that is going to boost sort of technological um, uh, innovation and sort of how, how much how much productivity is going to be boosted worldwide due to this. Yeah, I I'm I'm with you, dude. And what's really exciting to me about it is that it's still like even just on this show, like I didn't know anything really about Gamma before we did this show. But to me, even that's like an example of this tech is also continuing to evolve very kind of rapidly. Um, now, like well, like we said, straddles already existed in traditional finance, right? But they took a long time to kind of develop that um, that kind of like option structure. But we're getting it like you know, a couple years here into DeFi being kind of like a thing. So we're continuing yeah. to see this rapid advancement. So, you know, we get these like, obviously we get these bubbles, the big bursts, the big waves or whatever, but we're definitely seeing an uptrend in the uh, level of, of tech that's being developed. And over time, what we can expect, at least this is my thesis, this is the whole reason I'm here, is that it will become so stable not we're nowhere we're not really there yet but it'll become so stable so advanced that it becomes like kind of the no-brainer solution uh for, yeah. for conducting these financial transactions i mean it it is a lot more simple to i think use gamma swap than it is to you know do a straddle in traditional finance <laughs> yeah for me personally yeah. at least yeah and it's kind of it's just like a cool like DeFi solution to trading volatility because like mm -hmm. something like gamma swap couldn't exist in traditional finance the whole like what it's all built on is the amm model and um a lot of you know amms are kind of notoriously inefficient mm -hmm. um because of the the like limitations that you have as like as a market maker you can't really um do things like long volatility uh in in DeFi without you know going through an options amm and designing some some payoff mm -hmm. um and it's just they're just cool like sort of tradfi adjacent or like equivalents in DeFi, but just completely new innovations yeah that i think eventually will be completely like so much more efficient than than what we have in tradfi now yeah um, man even the perp is kind of insane dude just an endless option <laughs> it's kind of wild yeah. But yeah. Uh, Adam Callen, I think interest rate swaps, uh, probably. I don't. I don't know of any protocol that's like doing interest rate swaps. I don't really know how that would work. Um, but yeah, I. I think there there are a few derivatives, tradfi derivatives that have yet to be tackled. Um, but yeah, and I mean, if if you start getting credit scores on DeFi market makers, you could do things like credit defaults credit default swaps and things like this. Um, anyways, I don't know what I'm... I'm no, I mean, I, I, I always <laughs> the, the credit score thing is kind of like... Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. A, a, a mixed, like, bag, but it, it would enable, like, a lot more advanced kind of, like, uh, lending, you know, uh, more advanced, like, lending derivatives, more complex. Yeah. But I don't know how you would, like beat that with like a sibyl like how you would protect from sybil type behavior yeah you just need yeah. like a shitload of kyc then we're kind of like right back where we started <laughs> yeah i'm gonna leave that stuff up to vitalik yeah i'll leave that to the, the real big <laughs> yeah. brains out there yeah that's true actually ipor does do interest rate swaps i forgot about that um so there you go oh nice look at that see it's also such a big space bro this is <laughs> all this stuff i don't even know about yeah, yeah. We'll have Thanks to for... we'll have to dive into iPod oh yeah eports next point. bro eports next right. man next on the chopping block <laughs> next on the chopping block bite we're gonna tear it apart bro so <laughs> yeah um I want to thank everybody for tuning in today dude uh, I hope like I said this was a really in depth discussion I think here on uh, on gamma swap I think it was really informative for me I really again want to thank Charles from Big Red. Be sure to check Big Red Podcast out. See what's happening on Optimism. Charles has some really in-depth, good conversations with some builders over there. And he reps the colors. <laughs> and he reps the colors, bro. <laughs> Most important part. 
So yeah, guys, remember to like and subscribe. Tell 50 of your friends. Tell your knitting group, your church group, your yoga class. Tell them all about Block Bites. Get them on chain with us. Um, and retweet the, the, the tweet for us. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming out, guys. And Mikey, please take us out, brother. <laughs>